and welcome back to another exciting episode of DSLR Film New Podcast, where my fader doesn't work quite the way I think it should. <laughs> but on that note, Mitch from Planet 5D joins me today. What have you been up to, Mitch? Hey, DJ. It's great to be back. Uh, it's been quite a while since we've had a little show going. Lots of things are going on, but I mean, we tried to do a show a couple of weeks ago after NAB and... Somebody had some machine problems. Yeah, so uh, for those of you not keeping track here, this has been my fault. Uh, as I move and still am hotel-bound, I have a full desktop PC next to me. And that desktop PC, of course, chose to lose every single USB port. So that is amazing. Now we are sort of working again, replaced the complete motherboard and upgraded the computer and Mitch can actually see me. Okay. So that's good. Yay. And we can hear each other. So we're on the right track. Mitch, Amen. what about you, man? What exciting news have you for us today? What exciting news have I got? Well, I am standing right now. I think we've talked about standing desks before. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. I am currently still standing in front of a bunch of cardboard boxes, but I purchased just this week a very disc. So um, I will be doing a blog post about it, but I will be getting that on Monday and it will be elevating my computer. And I can also then just turn around and sit down. So I'm really excited about that. And that sounds like some assembly required. Do you have someone to help you put that thing together? Actually, this comes with zero assembly required. You just take it out of the box. Now it's 65 pounds. Holy crap. So I'm really curious on how well that's going to work. I'll make sure I don't have any hernias. I'll get my weight belt out and strap <laughs> myself down. I don't know. I'm kidding. But um, it does come pre-assembled, which is kind of cool. The other part of the problem, though, for me, and I don't have a way of showing you this right now, but I have a, a corner desk. Okay. And in the back desk is a riser so it's about a foot half a foot something you know it's a little riser that whole assembly off in order to put this new standing disc very desk thing on the desk so that's going to be this weekend's project not to mention cleaning it oh desk cleaning is always an issue well yeah you should know you just moved you had to clean the whole house Oh, man. And now I have this really small desk here that is basically just a table that I scavenge from downstairs at the hotel. And it is completely covered in junk right now. And if you can see this, there is no room for anything. It is uh -huh. horrible. <laughs> On that note, that. time for yeah. the news. First up on my list here is actually some of the new Adobe CC releases. These were announced at NAB this year, and now they're starting to trickle out. Lightroom CC is now out. Uh, this is the 64-bit version, if you aren't aware. And they've added a ton of new features to Lightroom. Uh, they've also added HDR merging. They've added panorama merging. They've added facial recognition and detection. You can even name people and have it go through your entire catalog and name stuff. Uh, there's a few other things. Mitch, what do you think about this? Anything exciting about all these new features, or are you just going to start digging through them? Well, I'm really curious to see this. I have not ever, ever, ever owned Lightroom. Um, I'm an Aperture user over on the Apple side. You remember Max? You've heard of Max, Oh, right? yeah, those... Oh, man, not again. Um, I, I fell in love with Aperture a long time ago, which actually came out before Lightroom did, and... I've been on Aperture ever since. And, of course, Apple has decided to kill Aperture. Boo-hoo! Uh, they're doing their famous thing where they, like, like they did with Final Cut 10, they have issued a new program, although they didn't just downgrade Aperture. They've, they've killed iPhoto, and they've killed I Aperture, and they've come out with a new program called Photos, which is very similar to sort of the app that's on your phone or your iPad or whatever assuming you don't have an Android device. But uh, so it doesn't have all the features that, light, uh, that Aperture or Lightroom have in it. Uh, so if you want to stick with Aperture, which is what I'm doing, I'll probably stick with it for a year or two until it no longer works. And then we're going to move over to Lightroom. Now, one of the things that I do find very interesting is that they've finally added this facial recognition to Lightroom, which Aperture has had for two and a half, three years. Wow. Uh, and I use it actually fairly often. Now, I've seen people 
a couple of threads have said, well, you know, if you're doing keywording properly, then you don't need that. Well, <laughs> I'm, you know, the keywords are great, but we don't always have time to keyword everybody in every image, you know, and, and you don't do that on import necessarily. Like, like if you have a group that you're shooting pictures for, like I just shot uh, this uh, band group that has 45 kids in it. Um, and we can talk about that some other day, but Categorizing photos for 45 different kids is a royal pain in the buttkiss if you don't know their names to start with. Uh, so it was, I was using the facial recognition in Aperture, and it works fairly well. It's not always right, but it works fairly well in order to, to find people within images. So I'm, I'm curious to see how well it works in Lightroom. Now, everybody always uh, has aspirations of writing down labels for every single photo in their collection <laughs> and making it easy to search. I actually have a my next my old next door neighbor. His job was to go through the entire Cabela's catalog of images and label each one of them so that their photographers could sort through the images and find stuff when they were doing layouts. And he created an entire company out of that. Myself, wow. man, I don't know. I'm not going to deal with that kind of mess. So I just kind of throw stuff in there, put dates on them, and then try and make notes in my folder when I did stuff. And the notes are how I find my way around everything as opposed to in Lightroom. But I know I'm using it wrong. Uh, these features aren't super excited for me. I'm not really an HDR shooter. The facial recognition... Like you said, if you use it, that's great. If you don't, then it's going to just get further and further behind. I, oh, you know, I pay for the entire collection, the Adobe CC collection. So I get it whether I want it or not. And I just hit the upgrade button whenever they tell me to. So Adobe, <laughs> keep doing stuff. I am way behind on like the new After Effects plugin stuff, the new updates to Premiere. I haven't even gotten a chance to dig through all of those yet. So if you swing over to Adobe's website, they do have actual short little 10-minute preview videos that go through all of the updates for all of these different apps. If you really are interested in finding out what they've got going on and what they've added, uh, that's probably the best place to start. Mitch, you pay? do you pay for the full Adobe subscription service or do you uh, just, nope, don't pay for it? <laughs> I, I don't have any of it. I don't have any of it installed on my machine. Uh, I'm 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 pretty much an Apple guy. I've told you that before. But I'm uh, you know I you edit videos. Do you edit strictly in Final Cut still? Or I do actually. I still edit everything in Final Cut, which I think Final Cut Ten has turned into an awesome program. Um. So no, I don't. I don't actually. <laughs> I mean, I in terms of Photoshop. What I have is Photoshop Elements, uh, which is, I don't know, I'm on version 9, and I think they're on version what? 13 of Photoshop Elements. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's all go, hey, Mitch, you're using ancient technology, but you know what? There is so much junk in the new Photoshop, and that's true for most of these programs. It's like, it's like Microsoft Word. How many features of Microsoft Word does anybody actually use? Even though there's 600,000, people only use about 2%, right? And that's true for Photoshop. And Photoshop Elements has all the stuff in it that I need in order to do photos. So between Aperture and Photoshop Elements, I'm happy. Now, I've actually had to limp along before on a computer where I wasn't allowed to install anything. And uh, there's a live version of GIMP, which is even less feature-rich than Elements. And that's free if anybody's ever looking for a free photo editor. And I was actually, uh, to tell you the truth, able to accomplish like 80% of my photo editing, cropping, you know, changing stuff, darkening bits and, and whatever, all with this really slim program that is not even, you know, it runs live off of an execute file, so you don't even have to install it. So, I mean, I, I think you're right. Um, I, I guess as me not digging into all the features that come with Premiere and After Effects and everything else, that kind of shows that it's not that important to me. Every once in a while, they come up with something really cool where you see it and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, um, they have the Mercury water engine in After Effects. And I just needed that the other day to add water to a car window. And so, you know, I've had that in After Effects for years, never needed it. And then today I need it. When are you going to need it again? Probably not. You're not going to need it anytime soon. And you can get away with just using Final Cut or anything else. Um, 
one other thing hey, how do you like the x or the new version of a final cut x because a lot of people were complaining about it when it first came out and now it's sort of being picked back up by people and they're excited about the updates and the releases to it has it gotten better oh yeah heck yeah um one thing that uh, before we go on i'm watching the live stream and do you have me selected in the lower box? Because you're never showing up. I am never showing stream. up on the live stream. Great. <laughs> it's always just me. And I'm over here picking my nose when I'm thinking, you know, I'm <laughs> but it's not switching over to you for some reason. Oh, no, Google. Why are you messing Google, up my my video so switching down, down in the lower right? Do you have me? There's there a white box around me. Uh, there is now. And now there's well, a box around me. Well, uh, don't. Well, see, and it, it, this is really bizarre because neither neither one of us. I mean, I'm showing up, but this is really <laughs> weird. But it's okay. I mean, it's just me. It's the low. It's the Planet Mitch show. Yeah, it's guys. So and who cares about DJ? If you don't like seeing my face, that's great because that's what's going to happen. Is okay, it going back so and it's forth now? now? Yes, it's working now. Huh. I mean, it's also delayed. The live stream is a bit delayed, so. Ah. Uh. Okay, so it's, it's working now. So I think you probably had me selected or something down there, and it's it's working right now. Well, Thank for goodness. those of you right, no. uh, um, <laughs> watching the show, just to let you know, and those of you listening, actually, um, I just installed Windows eight point one because that was the only copy of Windows I had laying around when I rebuilt this system. So all of the presets and stuff that I had set up for everything are gone, and you don't realize how much you rely on all of the stuff that's input into your browser and everything else until you wipe it clean. And then you're like, what was that website I went to? And you normally you'd start typing it in and autocomplete, but now it doesn't. And I have to go find all of my bookmarks and everything else again. It sucks. That is, is so true. Huh. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why I really sort of like my Macs. Uh, because when you migrate to a new system, you can do the migrate function and it brings all that stuff over for you. And I'm sure Windows has something like that these days, too. But I haven't touched Windows in seven, eight years. I don't know. It's been a while. Well, for me, um, Windows 8.1, but, I wasn't going to make the move. But uh, now... Are you on Windows 12 now? Uh, no, Windows 10 preview is coming out. I've actually been using some of that. Well, I was using it before I got into this hotel here. And they're doing really good stuff with Windows 10. If you guys are on a copy of Windows 7 or Windows 8.1, it's supposed to be a free upgrade to Windows 10. And they've brought back a lot of the features that make it sort of exciting. Going on from there, what do you think of the new Final Cut X release then? Final Cut, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I, I, lot of people I know may not admit it, but they're using Final Cut 10. Final Cut 10 is quick. It's very simple user interface. It got a lot of bashing early on because of things that were left out. And, of course, the the magnetic timeline, a lot of people don't like that. I happen to really love it because I don't have to deal with a bunch of time slices that are missing. If you want to put in time slices, you can put them in there to fill in some gaps and stuff. So, you know, the initial shock wore off and a lot of people, I think, are really coming back to it. It's it's stable. It has, especially the multi-cam works brilliantly. Uh, I, I used it for this slideshow thing that I was doing for these kids. Um, I actually used the program called Photo Magico to generate the slideshow because it was easier than doing a slideshow in Final Cut 10, but it doesn't do the sound and the music and everything else the way I wanted it to. So I, I brought the slides over to Final Cut 10 and I did them all in there and it works for me. It works great. Now, again, you got to remember that I don't have a traditional uh, NLE nonlinear editor interface background. So uh, I came from iMovie, so moving into Final Cut 10 was just very simple for me to do. So that's where my background has been since day one, and so moving forwards with Final Cut 10 has just been perfect for what I've, I've needed. That sounds great. I'm going to not try that, but <laughs> I um, honestly, I did use Final Cut for a while. Uh, when I was in college and in high school, that was the thing that everybody used. Final Cut was all over the place and that was back when they were still on a pre uh premiere the early like where they still had the horses the logo for adobe i believe 
and the editing suite was awful. Uh, Adobe's original releases were pretty weak, but after they went to Pro 1 and now were clear up to 6, those got really good. Before that, it was... It was junk. Oh, moving on down the line here, Mitch, this is actually something that uh, we were talking about pre-show. This uh, Capcom adapter, or Kippen, I believe, Kippen, I'm going to go with Kippen adapter, is a Micro Four Thirds. Let's go with that, because I don't know either. EF adapter, and this is supposed to provide um, high-speed focusing and autofocus, and they're talking a price range of, what, 389 for this? You have one, and you were just showing it to me. What do you think of it? Can you tell well, me more about it? Let's let's back up. There are two different devices sort of here. And if you look at the show notes, Kippen has one that you put in the show notes that retails for 285. Yes. And that's the micro four right. thirds to EF adapter. Correct. Now, um, the one that Aperture has that they actually announced it at NAB not this year, but last year. Oh, really? And it took a year to get it out. Yes. Um, and I actually have a prototype. See, here's my little box. It says prototype on it. I'll nice. See that. Um, they sent it to me just before NAB. And the thing that I really like about this, so it's an adapter. And here's here's the adapter. I'm gonna I gotta switch back to my view so I can see myself. So I make sure I'm showing it properly. So this is the adapter, which is very much like the one that I saw in the Kipon in the show notes. Okay. All right. And this particular one and their, their goal here is to not do micro four thirds, but this is an EF mount to micro four thirds, right? Okay. So this is taking your Canon EF lenses and allowing them to go onto a micro four thirds mount. So that's the backside of this. Now this is, this is a smart adapter in that it has all the electronics in it. So it can do focusing like the one that you're talking about. It does not have the glass in it like the Metabones speed boosters do. So there would be a piece of glass in here in the, in the speed booster. But the other thing that comes with the uh, DEC with the aperture Ooh. is this hand controller. And it has a wheel on the back that you can switch with the aperture and it has a thumb thing on the front for changing focus and it has a little lcd there that shows you what the status is and so you can do hands off or at least hands on this turbo controller and you can do all of your focusing wirelessly so there are no wires attached to this you see both pieces are or there's no wires there. Okay. It's, it's magic, right? <laughs> so you can put your EF lenses on there, put it on your Micro Four Thirds camera, and they also have a version that will have a Sony E-mount. And so then you can put your Canon lenses on your Micro Four Thirds camera and have a wireless follow focus, and it really rocks. It works really well for $389. Okay, so let me make sure I got this straight. So the Kippen is just a micro four thirds to EF adapter. That one's two eighty five, and that one's supposed to provide high speed autofocus. But Correct. this uh, aperture deck or deca is that how you pronounce that? It's or uh, DEC. They just say DEC. The DEC yeah. adapter. So that and allows you. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, that so they that allows you full control acronym, right? of the EF uh, lens on an EF. Uh, or on a Micro Four Thirds mount, but it all—they also have a Sony adapter as well. Correct. Okay, so so, so you can take uh, Canon lenses to a Sony Canon or to an E mount for Sony. Man, and the remote comes with it for three hundred and eighty-nine dollars, huh? That's correct. Both oh. pieces together, the whole kit is three hundred eighty-nine bucks. Dang, that's we were a... talking last year about it being a thousand dollars. Yeah, that's a really good price. Holy. It's a heck of a price. It's it's amazing. All right. Um, uh, you're selling me on now, this right now as we speak. <laughs> I kind of want to buy one. Um, it is it is it is really awesome. Uh, it does not I have not a micro four thirds camera. I keep trying to get a hold of one. So when I was testing it, I was putting my Canon lens on it and just doing the focus, right? So I could see 
the lens moving back and forth and doing the aperture changes. And it's real time. It's not like a massive delay there. It's really, I, I don't know if there's how much of a, you know, it's hard for we humans to measure time in millionths of a second, right? But it was as soon as I pressed the button. And the other thing, by the way, I didn't mention over here on the sides, there are A, B settings. Okay. So you can you can set focus points that are narrower, uh, you know, closer than your full focal range of your lens. And you and when you set those and you do the uh, thumb wheel here, it stops at that point. So you can have two points where you do a, a near and a far. You can do a whip focus or whatever with the with the remote and it works it works really well the only thing that i don't know since i don't have a micro four thirds camera is how well it works taking stills because i haven't haven't been able to shoot with it in terms of stills i don't know if the autofocus functional on a micro four thirds camera um which is what i think they're talking about there with that kip on thing about the the autofocus yeah what's um, exciting about the complaint Kippen is that supposedly you have full uh, high speed autofocus and with the Metabones adapter, if you use that with Canon lenses on an EF or on a micro four thirds mount, you get a weird, like slow focus type of deal. It's not very fast. Oh, it it works, but it's, yeah. it's, it works so slow that it's almost like you might as well manual focus. Um, if you that's have right. like a object that stays fixed, I suppose you can wait long enough to have it work. But in a world where we're used to just, half pressing and getting the automatic beep to know that we're in focus. It sucks. Uh, so right. that's where this is exciting for me. As far as actually being out on the market yet, though, I just did a quick peripheral scan of Amazon and eBay, and I do not see these in the real world yet. So uh, this could be on its way. It may not be on its way. It, it, it could be like this aperture device where it takes an entire year to develop. Um, but man, and now I'm not even thinking about that anymore. Now I'm looking at your <laughs> DEC and it's like, that would be really handy to have a wireless remote that I can do. Do they have one that I guess you couldn't go Canon to Canon, but you, so they, the Sony one, have you heard anything about that? Is it uh, for full frame as well? So could, could I use a, a full frame lens with a full frame, like a seven S body? You know that's one question I did not ask them, but I can I can I can call them and talk to Ted over there at Aperture and find out for you. You know, you know next week because that would also be really great to have some kind of control like that on a full frame body as opposed to a micro four thirds body. Man, now I kind of right. want one of these. Oh. It was it was initially not very sexy sounding to me when I first heard them talking about it. But the more that I have have played with it and uh, and 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 saw them again at NAB and the number of people that were walking up and talking to them about this, especially at the price of three hundred and eighty nine bucks. Um, just to, just a note in case you guys go looking for it. Aperture in their case is spelled A P U T U R E as opposed to the traditional A P E. Aperture. I've I messed that up so that many way, times but... uh, typing articles about <laughs> aperture stuff because autocorrect fixes yeah. it for you and you don't think about it. You're right. like, everything's spelled correctly. And then you get a note back saying you spelled aperture wrong. Good job, buddy. Yep. Yeah, right. way to go. All right, moving on down the line here, uh, lensrental.com. Um, if you've ever been to their site, they do good rentals, of course, but uh, they also of do course. teardowns of tons of cameras. Uh, if you ever want to see the inside of like a 5D Mark III or anything else, uh, that's the place to go. Their blog has lots of teardowns of cameras because they do a complete teardown whenever they're servicing their cameras after they return from a rental. So they have a nice article up showing the phenomenon that's been happening on the Canon T6 and T6i. Mitch, you posted some stuff on this as well. Uh, apparently, this is some sort of flaw in the coding that they're placing on the sensor uh, sensor filter. Is that is that correct? It's, it's, and it, I apologize because I have not seen one of these. Obviously, I've only seen the article that Lens Rentals has posted, and they say it's very obvious, and it's unique 
to the in that that they did not initially see it because typically what they do is they shine a light directly on the sensor when they get a new camera body in. They check them over very carefully, make sure they're working before they start renting them. And they typically shine a light directly onto the sensor and then look at it with a loop to make sure that they don't see anything funky. And what happens in this particular case is they started seeing some spots in images that they were taking. And they realized that if they shine the light sideways, and you can see if you go to the show notes or the article in Planet 5D, there is some spots that shows up on the sensor. And those spots are somewhere between the clear glass filter that's on the front and the actual sensor itself. And they haven't figured out where it is, but they have talked to Canon and Canon does recognize that this is a problem with the T6. And so far, nobody's spotted it anywhere else that I'm aware of. Uh, there were a couple of questions on the Lens Rental article about down below that, uh, that some people are talking about the M3, which is not released in the United States. Uh, but is available overseas, that it's the same sensor on both cameras. So they were wondering if some of the threes had this particular issue. Uh, lens rentals said they had several, but they all are from a narrow range batch. So they're suspecting that maybe a bad batch got through the quality assurance at Canon. But Canon at least did not deny that there's a problem. Which I have the press release from Canon. They did release a warning. So the serial numbers that are affected um, are 01 or 02. Uh, then you may may have that problem. Uh, there's also a, a note in here that says the battery cover uh, has a circular mark. And if that's the case, your camera isn't affected. But if it does have the, uh, doesn't have the circular mark on there, your camera could be in the affected range. So make sure you check out the serial number on your camera. Maybe call Canon support and find out if you're having any kind of issues with that. Um, but they did acknowledge that there's a problem with that particular batch. So that sucks for a brand new camera. You go pie one right out of the shoot and all of a sudden you have some weird stuff going on. What? 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 I'm stumped by that. If the battery cover contains a circular marking, the camera is not affected by the phenomenon. Yeah, that's uh, so that, that was means, straight from their press release. So apparently... So that means they've started testing, right? Yeah, and exactly. So, so if you get a battery, if you get a T6 with a, and you check the battery cover, then they've checked for the phenomenon. Okay. Yeah. I was like, are they somehow magically knowing which ones? Okay. So yeah, from a certain point on, they're checking. I think right, because I the battery plate is so easy to uh, take off and remove, maybe they're marking it or maybe they just created a new mold for that particular plate. And now those are the ones that have been certified to be good. Uh, so no circle is bad. Circle is good. That's what we can take <laughs> from this press release information. Uh, moving on down the line to another interesting item here, and this is a Kickstarter project. It's called LensPax Lens Cap. Basically, what this is is a lens cap that has Velcro on it and it allows you to attach your lenses to the inside of your camera bag. At first, I thought this was ridiculous. Honestly, I saw it and I was like, "What the heck is this? Why do we need this? What is this for?" But then I started thinking about it, and you're like, "Well, wait a minute, okay." I always lose lens caps. You know, you're always looking for them at the end of the day. You always end up one or two short. I even carry three extra in every camera bag just because I lose them all the time. And this also gives you sort of control over storage because your lenses aren't going to flop around if they're in a lens cap and they're Velcroed to the bottom or the side or the top of your bag. So it's actually an extra way to support it. And this is still a Kickstarter. So if I check out the Kickstarter page here, Looks like we're talking a price for the early version, uh, three thirty dollars for two of them. So that's not horrible. Mitch, would you use some wacky thing like this? Well, uh, maybe we should should clarify just a bit because you keep using the phrase lens cap, which tends to me to be the front of the lens. Ah, uh, okay. And what I'm looking at on their Kickstarter is... page is. The backside of the lens, right? Where yeah. it mounts to the camera. Yeah, and I'm using their description here, uh, not my own. Uh, they say they, lens caps, uh, quick release throughout the deal. But uh, Mitch is absolutely well, correct. Lens, lens packs is what they're calling it, a lens pack. Lens packs, innovative lens caps. Oh, does it say for caps? Qu- yeah, quick oh, camera lens okay. changes. 
Um, this okay. goes on the back of your lens. It does. Mitch is absolutely You're right. right. It, it replaces the part where it goes to the body. This is not like a pinch cap that we would traditionally call a lens cap. I don't know what you call the back part of that. Do you, you have a special name for that? or <laughs> I call it the mount. <laughs> the mount cap? Um, you know, whatever you guys want to call it, but this is on the back part. So you do screw your lens into it and it Velcros directly to your camera bag. This is still a little wacky and 30 right. bucks for two. That's kind of spendy. And I'm looking at their, the, the images they have of theirs right now. And they look like they're kind of cheesily 3d printed and not really quite production level yet. So I don't know how they're going to end up creating these. Hopefully, they actually will build a mold. But if you look down towards the bottom of the Kickstarter there, you'll see that it's just a kind of hokey 3D printed device. I like right. the idea, though. And if you could do this in an actual mold and make them nice, and you had them for every brand and type of camera out there, it might be worth 30 bucks. I don't know. That's it's it's certainly interesting because I like the way they're showing in their animated gifs or gifs depending upon how you prefer to say that word. Was it lens caps uh, or body caps? Body caps makes more sense. I think body caps oh, is probably right. right. I'm I'm looking it up right. now on Amazon and they're selling <laughs> body caps, not lens caps. Mitch is absolutely uh, right. So so it's not like I mean it has to be a specific uh body cap for a particular lens mount like an ef mount but it doesn't have the actual um threads like your camera lens would have so it looks to be just a a velcro thing so it's it's secure because it's tight and fitted to that particular mount so you'd have to have a nikon mountain and, and different kinds for each kind of lens mount you got there's probably micro four thirds and EF, et cetera, but it's not. So you can, you can put it in there quickly because it doesn't have to, you don't have to look for a red spot or whatever, you know, mount yeah. point. You just throw it in there and it goes and it looks pretty quick. And I like the fact that your lenses won't be flopping around because mine tend to do flop around sometimes. Uh, but interesting idea. Yeah, you know, there isn't usually a lot of innovation in lens caps. The last cool thing I saw in lens caps <laughs> was actually, and and lens body caps as well. Actually, did you see those, the body caps that had the actual millimeter of each lens on the back of it? So if you were yes. digging through your bag and you're looking for the right prime, and I have this problem all the time, the 24 millimeter F1.4 and the 35 millimeter F1.4 are roughly the same size and shape. And then when you're digging through your camera bag and you just have lenses turned straight up, you can't really tell which one is which. Those caps are pretty handy for finding your way around. Maybe if those were combined somehow with a pinch cap, that might be also a nice way to go. Looks like Mitch is digging through his bag right now trying to find something. I think he may have one of these caps in his collection. Well, I do, and it's not here in my bag, darn it. And wouldn't you know it? Well, when you start looking, oh, that's wait. when you can't find it. I do, I do, I do. I have I have t several things, of course, but here is... Ooh, yeah, those look nice. Yeah. I, I was meaning to pick one of those, or pick a set of those up, but I just haven't gotten around to it yet. So this one said, for those of you listening on the audio who can't see me holding up a cap, a body cap, it's called Lens Bling. And they sell a whole series with different numbers on the back. This happens to be the 24, which I do put on my 24 to 105. And they probably have well, a full okay. range of labeled lens yeah. body caps that allow you to pick one for each of the lenses. It's an extremely good idea. I like the idea that you could organize your entire kit that way. You did not just drop a 24 to 70 on the ground, did you? No, 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 no. I dropped my keyboard. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank goodness it's only the keyboard. Uh, for those of you in the listening audience here, um, Mitch was holding up a lens and then made a screaming sound, and I heard a crash. Uh, for a moment there, I thought he may have wrecked something very expensive. 
Well, I did actually do that with my um, with this lens, as a matter of fact, my twenty four to or my my twenty four, my seventy to two hundred. I dropped and had to have repaired by Canon. Yeah, man. Which was not a whole lot of fun because that was expensive. Um, but of course, the other thing that I'm looking for, of course, when I always want one, I've got millions of them laying around, and they're never here when I'm wanting one, right? <laughs> You've heard of the lock circle, haven't you? Seen as how we're talking about locking things. I have seen some of uh, Lock Circle's products. Uh, they've got that uh, HDMI locking port system, and they've got a couple yeah. of other uh, machined adapters and sort of rig attachments. I think I might know what you're talking about. Didn't they have some sort of lens cap yeah. product of some kind um, yes. last year or the year before? Oh, it's yes, it's it's actually what they started with was called the lock circle which is me is right um and i can't find one it's just driving me bonkers because i usually have one here because they actually created some that say planet 5d on them oh nice yeah anyway i'll show that next time i'm sure a bit but i still use those a lot of people's they were expensive they were 50 bucks i think 50 bucks dang uh, but it's specifically made to lock, and it locks very tightly on your camera, as opposed to these wimpy little body caps that just fall off very easily. But that's a whole other story. Anyway, let's move on. Now, moving on to something <laughs> that will save you some money. Uh, I just finished a, a rebuild of my editing machine, but a lot of times you don't have a huge budget for your build. And i7 processors are the ones that people kind of reach for as the, you know foundation of your system to make something really good well a regular i7 4790 or 4770 uh, cpu for your system build is going to set you back about 340 to 350 dollars and that's not extremely expensive but when you are trying to budget for a full set of ram maybe you want 32 gigs of ram you want an ssd in there you need to cut a few corners and save a little bit of money so that you can get that good gpu that you want in there or you can get other peripherals that you really need well i found this while searching for some other random stuff and it turns out that intel sells a version of the i7 4770 under their server line of products for 245 dollars this is the e3-1231 v3 i'm not making this up that's the actual product name you can go check it out and it's a xeon processor but basically it's a 3.4 gigahertz cpu that is uh, 1150 standard so you can plug that into any of the newer uh 97 and 90 or an 87 motherboards and this will give you basically a full i7 processor without the secondary gpu uh, if you're familiar with the 4770 and the 4790, those both have an APU on board that provides graphics processing if you don't have a, a GPU card installed in your, in your system. So now you don't really need that because if you're building a video rig, you're probably going to put in a nice NVIDIA graphics card or a R9290X or something like that. This will save you 100 bucks on your build. And 100 bucks that could be the difference between putting in 16 gigs of RAM or putting in 32 gigs of RAM into your system. And honestly, you want to max out the RAM in your system. You could go with a cheap motherboard, and you could probably get an entire editing bay built for six, maybe $700, and really have some awesome stuff. And this is just a little way to chip a few or $100 off of the price of your build, so you can move that money over to something that you really do need. Mitch, I know you don't build your own PCs here. <laughs> Have, no. have you ever thought about a Hackintosh or doing something like that? I I have not. And frankly, to be honest with you, uh, I, I admire those of you who do, but it's just not something I have any interest in doing. I've spent 32 years in IT and, and starting back in the old mainframe days with decks of cards. And I've spent enough time fooling with computers that I just want one that works, which is why I buy a Mac these days. Sorry. Uh, I, I admire you for saving money, though. And I, I admire you for finding this because saving 100 bucks is 100 bucks. Now, one of the uh, comments in the, in the YouTube channel here is that uh, you can't overclock it. And that is true. 
Um, you can overclock the 4770K and the 4790K. So if you are in the market for overclocking, uh, you're not going to get any of that out of this uh, Xeon E3 processor. But a lot of people aren't brave enough to overclock their system. Um, after the failed USB ports, I have taken all overclocking <laughs> off of my own system. So, you know, just be careful with that. If you're not a pro overclocker, which I am not, and you don't have a lot Do of good cooling. you think that was the problem? Uh, yeah. You know, I fancy myself as a computer builder and a pro, but then when I screw up something and it takes me three weeks to find the problem, I definitely put myself back in my place. Uh, I may have busted my own computer by overclocking. I do not know. Sometimes yeah. when you're overclocking, you have a bunch of settings in your motherboard um, BIOS that you're going through and you're like, ah, let's crank this up as high as it'll go and see what happens. And you, you get better performance, but then sometimes you get blue screen of death. You know, I mean, does Mac have an equivalent to the blue screen of death? Oh, yeah, sure. It, yeah, it's gray. Does it give you like a little uh, sad face? It tells you like, oh, things have gone sideways or it just goes gray. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, there's all sorts of blue letters and they're blue or black or whatever, but they, it comes, it's Unix underneath. So Unix crashes, you're in trouble. Well, anyway, if you're looking for that processor, again, that's the E3-1231 version 3 Xeon processor. So go check and, that out. And so let me ask you this question, Mr. I'm going to build it all myself and save a ton of money. Do you think you saved about a bunch of money by overclocking? <laughs> Honestly. And then having to rebuild everything and... and I don't know. I'm teasing you. No, it's fun. I'm sure it's a lot of fun. Building the system is very satisfying and it does actually right. save quite a bit of money. Um, I have a pretty substantial machine next to me here. It's, it's got a, a Titan X graphics card in it. It's got uh 4790 CPU, 32 gigs of Ram. Uh, it's got several SSDs in it and it is a pretty killer machine. And I think altogether I'm, I'm in about two grand. And those are specs that would make even a $4,000 Mac cry just a little bit. So in that regard, you do save. Um, for the motherboard, I was able to take mine out. It's still under warranty, so I sent it back to Gigabyte. They're going to uh, send me a new one, RMA. But in the meantime, I was out of motherboard, so I went and bought another one. So that does add 240 bucks to my build. So I'm still ahead of you as far as money savings goes, but... <laughs> As far as hassle goes, you know, how much yeah. is your time really worth? And yeah. I would oh, I would say absolutely. if you are a, a working professional, having your system down like that is a pain in the posterior. Now, speaking and, of working and, professionals and here, frustrating. we've yeah. got a cool little deal. And I haven't actually messed with any of these yet, but I just saw it this morning. Uh, this is a it's called Light Meter and it's by David Quills. Uh, you can find this on the Android App Store in the Google Play Store. And this is a full-fledged light meter. It turns your Android phone into a full-fledged light meter for about $2.50. They have an equivalent for uh, iOS apps. Uh, it's not made by the same person. But uh, do you think people still need to have a light meter with them? And if so, was their phone an adequate replacement for a traditional light meter? I don't have an answer for the last part of that question because I've not been a traditional light meter kind of guy. I will tell you that people like Shane Hurlbut and others I have spoken with who are big time professionals do often pull out a light meter to check exactly how much light is hitting their subject. So it, it, it all depends on what you've been brought up with. Now I, I kind of sort of would say that to some degree it's pixel peeping. Uh, maybe that's not the right phrase, but sometimes we get a little anal about how our exposure is and checking it on meters and all this other stuff to make sure it's absolutely perfect. Whereas other people just trust what the, the light meter inside their camera says and they go with it. And then maybe they tweak it in Photoshop or uh, Premiere or whatever editing tool later. So. I don't know. It it all depends upon what your background is, I think. Most of what I've heard, I have not tested one, but I think they work pretty well on your phone for two bucks. Why not? Let's give it a try. One of the things I find handy to still use a light meter for is actually 
uh, checking overexposure on faces and things like that. Um, when you're in a shoot and you've got a bunch of light and people all over the place, sometimes you, you're looking at maybe not the best monitor or you're looking at just the back of your camera. And it looks good when you're looking at it right. before you start filming. But then at, in post, you find out that you blew out part of someone's face. And how do you get that back? Well, you really, you don't. Once you've done that, you're just SOL and you have to kind of work with what you have. So if you just run over there really quick with a light I meter think- and put it on their face, you can check and then you can adjust your lights accordingly. And it's a, it's a good practice to get into if you don't do it right now. Um, as far as getting away with it, well, you know, honestly, most cameras do have light meters built in. Are they the most accurate? Well, you know, that's yeah. probably not right. the case, but you can trust that and hope that you got everything right, or you can go the extra mile. And for $2.50, that's not a bad deal. I'm right. actually going to probably download this this weekend and start messing around with it and see how well it works. And I will report back on that. I do have a traditional light meter somewhere in my collection, uh, but it's <laughs> packed away right now. So I don't think I'll be seeing yeah. that anytime soon. Well, I, I do think it's, it's, it's important to note that we photographers and I, and I kind of put myself more in a photographer basis than a filmmaker basis. Uh, we tend to trust the fact that we shoot um, raw raw images these days, and raw gives you so much more flexibility that if you overexpose or underexpose, you can tend to pull things out. Whereas if you're shooting, you you know, video with the DSLR or whatever, you're pretty much shooting a JPEG, which is a little bit harder to pull highs and lows out of. So I think a light mirror is, is definitely probably even smarter thing for filmmakers than it is necessarily for photographers. As a kind of uh, lazy man, I've avoided most of the hacking of the Canon cameras and, and shooting raw on them because I don't want to deal with all of the post-production efforts that are required in order to get that workflow together. But it is extremely attractive, especially if you're shooting on like a red camera where you have red code and they have that really easy, basically the same as working in Photoshop. And you can sit and drag your levels around and move everything around. And you know what? If you're shooting a window and you're shooting an interior at the same time with enough tweaking, you can usually get the window to match the inside and you don't have to go out and hang anything in front of the window or do any extra work. And that makes it extremely nice. So in the future, when raw workflow gets better, uh, maybe I won't use a light meter as much, but uh, I still carry one around with me on a regular basis. So having this app in your pocket is probably just an extra protection. $2.50, can't really argue with that price tag. Next on my list, Mitch, here is this weird uh, trigger trap. And I know this has been out for a while, I just saw the update. It looks like they're adding a few extra features to this to support the new Apple uh, Watch. Uh, did you go buy one of these? I know we talked about this before. You were kind of thinking about them. Did you pull the trigger? The Apple Watch, I have not pulled the trigger. And In fact, I was in the Apple store the other day with my daughter, and I touched an Apple Watch and then walked away from it because we were looking at laptops. Uh, she's, she's interested in getting a new one. And so we were more focused on that. Um, the, the trigger trap is an interesting device. I have not made the time to spend a whole lot of time looking at it. Uh, I know that a lot of people are using them now and the fact that you can trigger it from your pebble watch or your iPhone or your iPhone, your Apple watch is kind of interesting. Um, I don't know. (laughs) And it's it's not like we're going to be Dick Tracy or anything running around and taking secret photos with our watch now, are we? Well, there's a couple of times where something like this comes in handy. Uh, for example, uh, myself, if I have to talk into the camera and I'm the only one there, I don't have anything you know, controlling it. Uh, I don't use this particular device. I actually use an IR blaster, but I can actually start and stop video recording with my IR blaster and pull focus with my IR blaster uh, before I start filming. So... One press takes a picture, focuses on you. The next press starts the recording button and you can record video by yourself without having a camera operator there. That's pretty handy. If video controls for this are available, that would make it extremely handy. But from what I understand, it looks like it's mostly just for photos. 
And in that case, how many times, like you said, are you going to need to remotely trigger your camera? If you have a camera trap set up, say you're shooting wildlife or something like that, generally you're going to have a wired trigger buried and coming over to your tent with some sort of remote viewing option so that you can trigger your shots there. You're not just going to blindly operate your camera from a a distance, are you? No. Well, it, it all depends on what you're doing, of course. Um, I remember we posted an article a long time ago in a land far, far away where a particular photographer was shooting the space shuttle launches and he was able to put his camera very close where he couldn't have his body as close as the camera was because of the launch, you know, oh, the um, aftermath. So he was using an iPad to trigger his camera long, long distance. Um, interestingly enough, along that same line, I, we haven't really talked about it and I did not spend a whole lot of time looking at it at NAB, but the guys over at Manfrotto have this thing called the digital director. Did you see anything about this? I know you've been busy. That was the focusing system, right? With the, uh, it has a, a laser detector for distance and changes no, no, the no, focus. No, 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 is no. that, is that the system? No, that's, you're thinking of red rock in their new okay, Halo okay. system. Tell me more about this, then. The digital director um, is a Manfrotto, the guys that make tripods and monopods and all sorts of different stabilization kind of things. Uh, They've got an iPad device that does what you were just talking about in that it will let you set focus, turn and start and stop on and off. And... Uh, it's something that I've, I've had a lot of people looking for, and I kind of thought that um, Teradek was going to do something similar to this, but they never did. But with the iPad, you can have like a remote monitor for your DSLR and start and stop video and see exactly what's shooting and everything else. It's a really awesome looking little app. I did not spend any time playing with it. I just saw a quick demo of it. Uh, but it's called the digital director and it's supposed to be out in June. I think we're going to get our hands on one of those. I'm sure. Uh, it's, I think they're going to charge 50, no four ninety nine. So it's $500. It's not cheap. <laughs> um, it's compatible with the iPad, the iPad air Two. uh, be available in June for four ninety nine. Now I know but we're we'll, kind of we'll, talking about coming out products, what? but if you, if you want to <laughs> do one of these yourself, uh, it's really, everybody has a smartphone these days and everybody has basically that power in their pocket. Um, you can go and there's an article on DSLRfilmnoob.com you can go check out that shows you how to hack a TipLink router and the TipLink routers are 30 bucks. You plug it into your camera and you apply the patch to the device and for $30 it will beam the video from your Canon camera back to your cell phone and give you full really? view and control options. This is a $30 device. Uh, the hack takes about 15 minutes to perform and it's self-powered. Um, you wirelessly hook your camera or your phone up to it and then that's it. And you're you're good for probably 50 feet or 60 feet. And that gives you access to not only your start and stop recording and your focus points, but it also gives you full control for your ISO and everything else. So if you want to change settings on the camera or whatever, you have all the control of that. And for stills, you can actually download the photos back to your phone. So if you're taking JPEG, you can just bring them right back to your phone. If you're taking raw photos, you might want to take raw plus JPEG simply because there aren't a lot of good raw processing apps available for cell phones right, right now. Uh, I haven't tested out Lightroom yet. Um, that's on my list of things to do, what? but yeah, I know you haven't tested something. I've actually got an, uh, right back behind me. There is a, a Nexus <laughs> seven Mark two that I need to install my creative cloud Lightroom app onto and mess around with, but it's just not been working out for me right now. I just have not had enough time to get onto that. Now, uh, anyway, those are a few things to to take a look at. There are a couple of different ways you can remotely control your camera. Uh, Check out the IR function if you're a Canon shooter. Uh, There's also a way to do this with the Nikon D800 and the 750. So you might want to check those out as well. We're down to the picks of the week here, Mitch. I don't actually have one this week, but it looks like you've got a few things to talk about. 
Well, we'll let's just pick one. We're already at. Uh, we're right at fifty-five uh, minutes, so I think we're the sweet and spot. I, I, I'm, I'm over here looking up your IR remote article, so. <laughs> Oh man, I'm I'm making sure I take a note of that one because I hadn't seen that before, and I'm interested in that. Of course, uh, this is a brand new product. What does it look like to you? That looks like a bunch of really tiny LED lights glued to some sort of very skinny piece of paper, and it is very thin. You can see that there Ooh. is a cord back here in the back. And it does this. So I am, I am, for those of you listening, <laughs> I am holding up a one by one, one foot by one foot, I think it's a foot, panel called the Flex Daylight or Flex Light. Oh, did that from, finally come out? From Westcott, yes. I have one in my hot little hands. I have not even unboxed it yet other than I took it out. Here's the box, the flex light. Holy crap, those things are sexy, man. Um, so so what's the appeal of this, right? So I, you can take, everybody's familiar with a flat panel, uh, being able to have a LED light, but I'm doing it. And so I can actually put this like on the inside of a lamp. So if you have practicals that you want to be shooting, but you don't, you don't want to have to necessarily go find... 6,000 watt light bulbs or whatever, you can put these flex lights wherever you want to and use them however you want to. It comes with a scrim, it comes with a frame, uh, it comes with a power source, and, and, it's, and it's looking pretty cool. I just have not had a chance yet to turn it on and, and play with it, but it came just the other day. I'm pretty excited about this one. It's called the Flex Light from Westcott. Is there any way to adjust the uh, white balance on that guy? I don't think so, um, because it says 5600K. I chose either tungsten or daylight when they asked me which one I wanted, so I chose daylight, uh, because those are the kind of bulbs I typically use, or daylight bulbs. So I don't believe it's adjustable. And what's the price on that guy? $500. $500, yeah. Those are Those are pretty nice. I saw it's it bright. I saw I saw them at NAB and they are dang bright. I can't turn it on yet because I haven't unplugged everything yet, but it's it's pretty much blinding. Wow. You would crank it all the way up. It's it's very bright. Yeah, it's really I saw some previews for those, I think last year. Cause didn't that all get started with like a Kickstarter campaign and then it rolled into a, a really big actual product that came out? They're I, Having the ability to just drape light over whatever you want, shove it into any shape, yeah. that is so right. attractive for filmmakers and for photographers. I mean, imagine if you wanted to do like a picture of somebody with their groceries in front of them, for example, and you had a bunch of bags sitting there and you put some light, you know, folded up some lights and stuck them in there and had those lights glow. You could have a beautiful like glowing table in front of these people and you have lights in places that would normally require you to drill holes, glue things down and mount stuff. And you don't have to do any of that. You just run a tiny little cable in and you're good to go. Yep. yep. And they come in bigger. I mean, they do two by two and I think they were doing four by four too, as if you want really large ones. So they're, uh, they're pretty sexy little devices. Now, one last thing before we wrap up the show here, and I just wanted to point this out for a few people, uh, especially YouTubers. There is a scam going around right now. Uh, people are sending out emails that say they're from YouTube uh, that you've gathered enough viewers or what have you to earn a free consultation from YouTube so that they can help you grow your channel. Uh, they have you click on a link, you fill out some information, and then they take over your account. So if you get one of those, uh, please make sure that you do not click on them. They are a bad thing. So keep that in mind if you see one of those show up in your inbox. Mitch, do you have anything else to add before we close up the shop? It sounds like I've got a barking dog behind me now. Bark, bark, bark. It's not me. I know you have a dog, but it's not your dog either, right? Yeah, maybe the room next to me. In a motel room, you get what you get. Yeah, when you when are you moving into a real house, TJ? Oh, so disappointingly, <laughs> um, I was supposed to close on the 15th and have a home 
uh, here oh, no. in the next few days, but uh, the appraisal came in late. So I will not have a house until the 30th of this month. So another month of hotel living. I'm kind of actually, you know, at first I, it was kind of depressing me, but I'm getting so used to it now that it's like, well, I guess it just sucks that I don't have stuff. I'll go buy another one of those until it comes out of storage. And you either deal right. without or you just go get another one. So it's a thing. What do you do? You move. You have to deal with this stuff. I put myself in this horrible situation. So I only have myself to blame. Good for you. Take the positive side of it. That's that's the right way to go. Good for you. On that note, I am looking for people to crew on some short films I'll be working on in the next month or two. So if you live in the Vancouver area... Vancouver, Washington, not Canada. Uh, hit me up. I'll be in the Portland and uh, uh, Portland and Vancouver area, that whole Clark County section filming. So cool. uh, keep me posted on that if you're around. I would love to have extra hands. I lost all the people I normally work with. So that is a thing. On that note, you can find me at <laughs> DSLRFilmNoob.com and anywhere podcasts are delivered. Mitch, pork, people pork. can find you where? Pork. I'm at planet5d.com and planetmitch.com, and I don't have any barking dogs in my background. Oh, I love hotel life, don't you? Yeah. On that note, I will see you guys next time on the DSLR Film Noob Podcast. <laughs>